first of all, I'm a, I'm a philosopher and I, I do some social sciences, but basically I think that I have stick to philosophy. In a, in a, I stick to philosophy in my, in my method, in my way of uh, tackling questions. And, uh, and I, I was very interested in, in epistemology in general, so in questions about knowledge. And uh, at a certain point uh, in the early 2000s, uh, uh, internet became such a, uh, a, a major phenomenon uh, that I started to be interested in what, uh, what were the, the transformations of uh, the way in which we uh, organize and we access and we produce and distribute knowledge that, uh, were, that depend uh, that were dependent on the introduction of the internet in our lives. And so I was, well, I was very interested in the question of trust. Why? So it seems like a paradox. Uh, uh, we philosophers, the traditional, the, the, the traditional uh, view of knowledge in philosophy, in epistemology, is that you should not trust. You should be autonomous, an autonomous thinker. So you should have in your own mind the means uh, to uh, um, uh, to filter information and to um, infer new uh, knowledge from what you uh, from what you already know without uh, taking into account the opinion of others. The opinion of others is uh, doxa and uh, episteme, uh, the true knowledge, is uh, uh, the opposite. I mean, being an autonomous being, being an autonomous knower. And with internet and with this old hyperconnectivity in which knowledge started to uh, spin around at the, at the as fast as uh, faster than light, I mean, uh, we I had the feeling that trust was becoming a very important aspect of the way in which we. Uh, acquire knowledge, so that we need to trust other people, we need to trust uh, in, an, in an information-dense society in which you have so much information, you cannot just uh, uh, um, count on your own means. I mean, you need to trust other people, and what does it mean to trust them? What does it mean? Does it mean to become gullible? Uh, does it mean to become credulous? So I started to really work in some specific domains uh, and try to understand what does it mean uh, to trust other people uh, in order to acquire knowledge, to acquire some uh, reliable information. What do we do? Are we entitled to do this? Is this a sort of um, um, appropriate way of using our mind, of uh, doing inference? So I ended up with some uh, interesting, uh, let's say more uh, empirical research and re researchers, and also uh, with some uh, uh, interesting normative uh, claims about uh, uh, when are we um, entitled to trust, when are we uh, um, uh, rational in using our uh, trust or when are we gullible? I mean, and these are ca cases that uh, there are heuristics, that there are biases, that are there are very different, uh, um, very dis different circumstances in which we can be more or less gullible. And I think that in general, in my research, uh, which mixes up uh, um, a very sort of French way of thinking. Uh, 
social sciences and philosophy and uh, a more analytical and Anglo-Saxon approach. So I, given that I'm a foreigner, in a sense I'm a foreign everywhere, uh, I have the privilege of I can mix up all the possible traditions without feeling that I'm sort of contaminating myself. So this is a big freedom to be, uh, not to belong to any place. I'm an Italian, I live in France, I have studied analytical philosophy and cognitive science in France. And then I was exposed, by living in Paris, to the French culture. So I feel quite free to use uh, Foucault and and Darwin in the same uh, in, in, in the same article without feeling like intimidated by some sort of disciplinary boundaries or ideological boundaries. So that was for me. Uh, well, it was maybe more, more difficult sometimes to be heard, but it was a big freedom for me to be able to use any possible corpus of knowledge with a lot of yeah, personal freedom, uh, which is an important value for me. And uh, so I started to uh, mix up different uh, uh, literature and uh, uh, try to understand um, in, uh, in, in some uh, domains uh, how really we uh, we make sense of uh, uh, of our trust in a domain? For, like for example, take uh, the academic uh, domain, the academic field. That was perfect because uh, it is my field. I work in a, in the academy. I am a researcher at the Centre National de la Recherche Scientifique, the CNRS in Paris. So, uh, and also the, there is a tradition in sociology in France to take academy as an example to be self-reflexive. I mean, having social scientists who have who reflect upon academy, and most notably Pierre Bourdieu, who has been a very influential uh, sociologist uh, um, in France, worked on how the academy work, how the the, the, how the credibility of, uh, of, uh, of uh, knowledge in the academy is uh, created. So I started to work on this and I discovered many interesting things, I mean many biases the, and the fact that basically we don't trust, uh, uh, so basically in general we have two kind of constraints. Uh, in, my, in, in my work I'm interested in, in explaining and in uh, uh, interpreting these two kind of constraints on how we make sense of a certain uh, corpus of knowledge. One kind of constraints are structural constraints on that corpus of knowledge. We know, for example, that um, academic publications are a network of citations. And so networks, citation networks, have certain structural properties. Like, for example, citation networks had the tendency of being aristocratic uh, which means that uh, rich get richer. The more citation you receive, the more you will receive in the future. That is an effect of the networks. So it doesn't have anything to do with uh, uh, your will, with uh, your cognitive system. It is just how the network is organized. So this is one kind of constraints that I'm very interested in analyzing in my work. This is a very well known. It was a uh, the famous sociologist, American sociologist uh, Robert Merton, uh, uh, who was teaching in, um, in uh, Columbia University, who called this effect the Matthew effect. Uh, well, um, in, in the New Testament, uh, Matthew, the Matthew, the text that you have four texts from John, Matthew, uh, I don't remember the, the 
and Matthew says, well, the rich will have more and the poor will have less. And so Merton called this Matthew effect in order to describe uh, citation networks and academic prestige. So if you're prestigious in academia, you will have more prestige. And if you're uh, just marginal, you, the tendency will be that you will be the more and more marginal. So these kind of effects are structural effects that depend on the shape of the network. And for example, another network that works in this way is the network we were talking about is page rank. Page rank, rank is an aristocratic network. So it has the tendency to, uh, to uh, prize the, the people who are on the top. And you have other kinds of networks uh, which are uh, sadly very democratic, like for example, illness, the, the um, epi epidemics, the way in which you, cont contagion is very democratic. It's not uh, aristocratic, so everybody can be contagious by everybody else. So the form, the shape of a network of a phenomenon is very important to understand the structural constraints of this phenomenon. So, uh, so when we were talking before, like, uh, well, um, page rank and then and then uh, Facebook or uh, eBay. I think that all these networks are a little different. Their structural constraints are different, so you can have predictions on who go up and down in these different networks, uh, according also to uh, taking, taking, by taking into account also to the, uh, to the constraints. On the other hand, you have our minds. I mean, and you have the, all the all the constraints uh, on the way in which we uh, tackle knowledge and we uh, deal with a corpus of knowledge that has to do with our biases, with our heuristics, also with our, knowledge, with our previous knowledge, and the fact that we are going to privilege some information. And we have an enormous literature today on this kind of cognitive biases, like uh, well, all the work uh, of uh, uh, Daniel Kahneman, uh, you were mentioning Gerd Gigerenzer, and so many other people in behavioral economics and in social psychology and co cognitive psychology, so in very different domains, which have made us aware of the enormous number of biases that we have when we deal with a certain uh, phenomenon that can distort the way in which we perceive the phenomenon. So on the other hand, so my idea is that if you want to understand what knowledge is and what we and what can we extract in a sort of reliable way uh, from um, this complex bundle of information that uh, uh, invade us, <laughs> invades us, uh, it's, we have to deal with these two, the, these two aspects, the, the, the cognitive constraints on the way in which we perceive a certain corpus of knowledge, a certain, uh, and on the other hand, uh, and also the heuristics and also the mistakes that we make. And, and on the other hand, uh, the structural constraints that, are, uh, that exist on the corpus. This is not a sort of, a, I don't end up being a constructivist or relativistic about knowledge. I mean, I don't end up saying, well, everything is constructed by the structural, knowledge is constructed by our psychological biases and by the structural constraints of a certain um, a network or a certain uh, uh, organization of knowledge, uh, I end up with a sort of, uh, so I'm not, a, um, I'm not a skeptic about knowledge, but I think that, uh, yeah, that uh, the way in which we pack things, uh, the way in which we construct our, uh, um, our uh, let's say, 
knowledge institutions in general matters a lot uh, in, uh, in order to understand what will be uh, filtered as uh, knowledge in a certain uh, um, time span, in a certain uh, era, uh, for, for a certain society. I think it is very important to know the, to know the constraints. Also, there is a sort of a normative part of my work in which I think that people should be aware of some of the heuristics, some of the biases they have in reading information in such a informational dense environment like internet and this is something that could be good also for education etc so we tend to trust things and uh, and chunks of information sometimes on the basis of very poor uh, heuristics and uh, this is something that can be easily correct corrected in a, in a sense, like, for example, just uh, by, by uh, teaching children to look at the URL, where does the how the URL is, is written. It, it contains a lot of information about the reliability of the, of the site. It's, it is something that you should be able to, um, to do it automatically. So I insist a lot in my work, and which, which is basically still, I mean, even if I do, I like, I like field work in social science, but I mix up, uh, yes, epistemology and social science. Actually, my domain in academic terms is called social epistemology, how the constraints, uh, the, the social constraints have an influence in, on, on, our, on, uh, on our way of processing knowledge. So I think that my own method um, in social epistemology uh, has been in the last, uh, let's say, six or seven years, and it was very influenced by the huge impact of the, the advent of the society of information, by um, trying to developing a sor sort of second-order epistemology. What, does it, what do I mean with second-order epistemology? So instead of first-order epistemology, tells you, well, in order to, to uh, distinguish knowledge, uh, to pry apart knowledge from uh, just belief, uh, you, you need to check some, uh, uh, some uh, constraints on uh, a chunk of information, like is it uh, uh, logically structured in the appropriate way? Uh, what are the inferential uh, um, uh, consequences that they can draw from that uh, uh, from that chunk of information are these consequences for example are they contradicting previous knowledge so if they are well just be careful etc so this is first order epistemology you you try to uh, check the reliability of a chunk of information by some method, which are classical logic. Uh, many uh, theories we have, we have developed in the history of thought in order to check the reliability of information, all the scientific method. And uh, second order epistemology is like sort of uh, um, something that we need today. Given it, you cannot check anymore uh, these details on uh, on the, the very chunk of information, you can check indirect, indirect reliability 
of the information, like its uh, authority, its reputation, where does it come from, who said uh, that, uh, which, with, uh, uh, which is the strength or the weight the person who has said this thing uh, gives to that, uh, to that chunk of information. All this is something new. We have a, a very sort of a spontaneous reaction to um, ways of attributing authority to other people. Well, this must be an, an, authority, an authoritative guy, for example, because uh, he's on the edge side, or maybe he's not, I mean, or, uh, or whatever. I mean, so we have very automatic, we have a lot of intuition about how to assess this sort of indirect index of reliability. And in my work, I try to uh, make this um, uh, intuition uh, a little more co controllable. I mean, I try to, co to, to see how these intuitions sometimes are just wrong and ho <laughs> really hopeless. And sometimes they uh, can use as heuristics in order to get uh, information. Take, for example, uh, there are many examples. For example, take the reputation of doctors. This is one of the most interesting examples that I like to cite. Everybody, I don't know if it is the same in the United States, it is surely, uh, it is a fact in France and in Italy that if you ask to someone about his or her doctor, he will reply that it is the best doctor in town. Everybody has the best doctor, which is clearly paradoxical because we can have all the best doctors and the way in which we select doctors is very mysterious because you don't have explicit ratings of doctors. I mean you have websites now that rate the doctors but all this is very, health is a very sensitive issue. You, 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 you uh, give trust to someone for many many different reasons so but in the end everybody end up being uh, uh, convinced to have the best doctor, which is... Uh, so I try to understand why, what are the routine, what are the heuristics, what are the biases that make us react in this way. So, for example, when you are in a very weak position, you attribute a, 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 a higher weight to authority, which should be the opposite in a sense. I mean, if you're in a weak position, like if it's your health, that is, uh, you should be more uh, careful. I mean, whereas uh, the routine that we use is exactly the opposite. And, uh, and there are many of these biases that we use every day in order to allocate authority to some sources of information, like, for example, the proximity bias is something that I have studied, like just because someone is next to someone else, uh, he receives, like as the, the, the aura, the reputation of the most imp more important person leaks and, uh, and illuminates in light also the other person. So there is a sort of halo effect of uh, transmission of, um, of, uh, of authority from one person to another, which is of course, I mean, you can justify in, in some ways why two people who are next to each other must be, uh, must share some sort of authority. But, uh, I mean, uh, in, many, in many cases, this can bring us to sort of, sort of very uh, negative uh, conclusions. So, uh, so uh, that is basically 
what interests me, you know, the, I mean, the, the double uh, question of uh, uh, understanding our own, uh, our own biases, but also understanding uh, what is the potential of uh, using this in an in a, in appropriate way, this indirect, uh, in, this indirect information and this uh, indirect cues of quality, of uh, reputation, in order to, uh, to navigate this uh, enormous uh, um, amount of knowledge. And that is also something that we discussed previously on the EDGE site about um, well, what, what is interesting about internet and uh, about especially about the web is that the internet is not only uh, an enormous reservoir of information, it is a reputational uh, device, means that uh, it uh, accumulates tons of evaluations of other uh, people and uh, so the information you get, it is pre-treated, I mean, it's pre-evaluated, and this is, makes you go much faster. And this is a, an evolutionary uh, heuristics that we have, uh, I mean, that we have probably since uh, uh, the, 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 well, the birth of the human mind, I mean, follow, uh, the, um, follow the people who know how to treat uh, information. So don't, don't go yourself for the solution, follow those who have the solution. And this is an, a, 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 a super strong drive to learn faster. Children know very well this, uh, uh, this drive. And uh, of course it can bring you to uh, conformism uh, and uh, have very negative side effects, but also can bring you, uh, it, it, it makes, it makes you uh, it makes you know faster, this is clear. So we know faster, not because there is a lot of information around. We know faster because the information that is around is evaluated. It is rep has a, a reputational um, uh, sort of label on it. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, my interest in social epistemology, uh, in a sense, is related by, uh, to my my previous interest, and I'm still very interested in cognitive science and in philosophy of cognitive science and cognitive epistemology also. And I think it, it is just a, a transition because the collective dimension of our knowledge is so huge that you need to know how the, the social aspect of our life, the, uh, how the, 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 the social structures are organized. I mean, the way it doesn't, so our mind is a piece of a puzzle in which there are many minds and that are connected in many uh, different ways. And, uh, um, but basically the way in which we are connected is not like uh, in a brain, a neuron connected to a neuron, but is, we are connected through social networks. That's why that was just an an, an empirical evidence. When, when, when internet started in the, in the 19s, um, but there, were, there were a lot of metaphors around what the internet is, what is this uh, bundle of links, uh, what is uh, uh, the connectivity, and uh, one was the brain. I mean, we should, we, maybe we can use the connectionist models of, uh, of the brain in order to understand uh, how uh, internet works and how it develops, because it was growing, growing, growing. And that was a, a possibility, and we were all very excited about it because uh, we were 
working in uh, cognitive science and neuroscience, philosophy of neuroscience, and, and, at the, and in the end, in 2000, uh, the mathematician John Kleinberg uh, just uh, um, had a result, I mean, which was published in Science, and, uh, and he showed that the Internet is a social network, like uh, the social network uh, that we have uh, of people who, which, uh, who, who we invite to cocktail parties or social networks in, a, in a, I don't know, in our uh, work environment. We, we live uh, uh, in a lot of social, many different social networks. And he showed in 2000, 1999 actually, and the article was out in 2000, that the internet is a social network. So, wow, uh, that will, and uh, um, in those years, uh, Breen and Page, they were students in, in Stanford, they took uh, his idea to, to design PageRank which was designed exactly as a social network. It means you have hubs, you have three levels, you have the, all the possible nodes of the network, let's say the sites, the websites, then you have uh, uh, authorities, which are the sort of uh, the, a, a, a middle layer of, uh, of uh, nodes that is a, a Mm, that is more authoritative, which what does it mean in terms of social network that it receives a lot of, uh, let's say, a lot of entries, and uh, and and these authorities point to some of the uh, website and they make them uh, go up. So what is special about this? It seems very banal, but I mean the, the, the structure is the structure of the social networks and. What is important is to explain, what was important for them, it was, it was to explain that there is a, a huge different, difference in terms of authority and ranking between a link from the web page of Gloria Rigi to the web page of Harvard University and vice versa, a link of the web page uh, of Harvard University toward the uh, uh, the page of Gloria Rigi. If Harvard points, which is an authority, uh, points toward me, it makes me go up a lot. If I point to, I, may, I put a link to Harvard, my weight is not enough to put, I mean, it doesn't make such a difference. So this sort of asymmetry of, uh, of the network was, uh, which doesn't exist in the brain exactly. So it was another model. That's why I, I decided in, in the early 2000 to move to, to, towards social sciences and try to take them seriously. So when uh, people discuss about trust, even in philosophy, etc., I wanted to understand what the social scientists uh, uh, treat, uh, how the social scientists treat this notion, how, uh, what is the research around, how can you, how can... So it was really a transition for me. Uh, 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 and, that, and I think it. I, I think I was right because uh, we, were, we are facing this phenomena, uh, a, a big change also in uh, in our in, in the business life, uh, uh, in which trust, reputation become commodities that we can uh, exchange and we can uh, trade, like take sites, websites like eBay or Airbnb. It's a sort of a sort of reputational. Uh, you have to get, have a, you have to have a good reputation in order to uh, take part of this uh, exchange of uh, uh, houses, apartments, etc. And so these are so important. But that, what does it mean? So my question was, what does it mean? How can I? 
what does it mean to have a good reputation, for example? What does it mean? Does it mean that, uh, what does it mean in general to have a reputation? What do I lose? I mean, it's not like having a toothache. What do, what do I lose when I lose a reputation? I mean, I am exactly, what, what did Vol, Vol, Volkswagen uh, lose when uh, it uh, apparently lost its reputation a month ago because of a, a scandal uh, um, about the, 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 the construction of, of some uh, um, uh, devices in order to trick the, the control, ecological controls. Well, what, what did Volkswagen lose? So this is a, an important question. What is reputation? How can you count? Is it just social, only social information, as it seems to be like on websites like uh, uh, eBay? On eBay, reputation is purely social information. It means that uh, you gather evaluation from the social group and you uh, um, and it, it changes your position in the social in this uh, uh, social dynamics so it make makes you going up and down but but is it the same with the likes for example what does it mean to like something on Facebook how can you count the likes what is what what are you doing when you're trying to um, I don't know when you retouch your pictures on Facebook or try to have a, a uh, um, a better reputation than uh, your actual one uh, online, etc. Uh, so these phenomena are not so... I mean, everybody's talking about reputation, how is it important today to uh, e-reputation, to have a good reputation, etc. But few, very few people just try to understand what's there, I mean, what's there, given that reputation doesn't exist. Reputation doesn't exist. It's not like uh, uh, money. It's not. It's not like uh, uh, headaches. Uh, it uh, just doesn't exist. It exists because someone attributes you to a reputation. It is a social, a total social uh, uh, property. Philosophers talk about uh, Cambridge properties, properties that uh, uh, can change things uh, in your life, but they don't exist. I mean, like for example. Um, so you can even you, you can also be not be aware about uh, uh, having or not having a reputation. So in a sense, we are becoming super aware of our own reputation, and uh, we are excited by the fact that we have so many devices today that can leave us uh, uh, a freedom of manipulation of reputation. We can manipulate our own reputation by uh, well by using social. Uh, um, uh, by using in a strategic way, let's say, social, social, the social web. And uh, on the other hand, the, the more freedom we have on, uh, in dealing with our own reputation, the more freedom other people have to manipulate our own reputation, to do things with uh, uh, what we have uh, done. So the problem of reputation, for example, you find many definitions. Basically, in economics, there is a very little literature in social sciences about reputation. And I, I have tried to go through and try to understand where reputation was. I mean, you have the notion of social capital, which is a little uh, related to, but it is not exactly the same. So the problem with reputation is that it is not only a uh, the opinion of others, but it is what you think the opinion of others is. So it's something that it is a little more complex. And this is to go back to the relation between what I have studied in my life, 
like cognitive science uh, and uh, philosophy of cognition and, uh, and social science. So I think that many phenomena that are interesting today deal with the, how our own minds deal with, a social, with the social world. And this is exactly so. You have to be aware of how our minds are uh, structured, but also have to be aware about how the social world is structured. So uh, reputation is not what the opinion of others as uh, the sort of uh, uh, basic economic model of reputation will tell you, but it is what do you think it is the opinion of others, which makes things a lot more complex and makes of reputation of cognitive, socio-cognitive phenomena, if you want. And also, what is special of reputation in this era, in this particular social configuration of uh, societies which are invaded by social uh, um, networks uh, and, uh, um, and uh, uh, technology of communication. It is that reputation is a communicative phenomenon, it's something that we trans transmit. And sometimes we are so eager to transmit an information that it is even more interesting to uh, so we look at a we, we, we find some uh, an article a newspaper article something that that we feel that can be interesting and instead of reading it we just uh, forward to some else or put it on Facebook so the the um, the, the, the willingness to to communicate, to transmit information, is uh, stronger than uh, the willingness to acquire information, which is also a very special phenomenon, a very strange, you should say, well, I am uh, an interested, self-interested uh, guy, uh, girl, uh, sort of an instance of the homo economicus, so I find a piece of information which is interesting, well, I keep it for me. Well, I keep it for me. So why should I? Sh why should I share? And uh, we all know today the co common behaviors. You find something interesting, you share it before reading it. So what does it mean? What does it mean in terms of, of cognitive science and social science? So it means that uh, some social configurations that are around today, that are made by social institutions, technologies, uh, etc., make function some parts of our brain make highlight some dispositions of our brain in a special way so probably we have this disposition of sharing information immediately which was less uh, exploited by other social configurations like i don't know the way in which conf uh, knowledge and information sh uh, used to circulate 50 years ago and which is highlighted and sort of which is uh, uh, made more um, well um, more explicit by this social configuration so things are there in our mind probably all the competence we have in order to deal with uh, uh, with the information around are, are there and then some social configurations which are complex devices um, that uh, put together politics, uh, economics, uh, uh, the way in which uh, social institutions 
stabilize uh, cultural phenomena, etc. So technology, the development of technology, this sort of big uh, and complex devices. Um, uh, change from one generation to another. Some are more stable, some change very, very, very rapidly. And in a sense, uh, they can foster some of our comp cognitive competences and um, uh, conceal some others for a while and then, and then change. So that's why I'm so interested in the in the interplay between the, these two dimensions. I, I think that also the communication between cognitive sciences and social sciences is easy today, is a little easier today because of the, also of the, um, the adoption by, social, by, by a group of social scientists today of experimental methods, which is quite new, which is uh, something that uh, was, uh, was not around uh, in some other traditions of social sciences. But I, I still, uh, I come from, um, from philosophy studies and from humanities studies, so I have a humanities background and I'm very attached to it. And uh, I think that, uh, well, uh, I think that uh, all the possible, you, you shouldn't, all the possible cultural traditions. Uh, we have an enormous privilege in, this, uh, uh, in these times. To, everything is available. Everything, you, can, you can have a look to. And, and everything can be sort of remixed, in a sense, every part of the culture, from, from literature to, uh, to uh, mathematics and, and uh, astrophysics and pop music, can be sort of re uh, repacked in a new way in order to see phenomena that uh, you cannot see just in, within only one discipline. So I'm very attached to a sort of multi, um, a pluralistic method of, of working. This is the way in which I work. I also write literature in Italy. So I'm very attached to uh, this sort of creative dimension of mixing up uh, traditions and things. So, but I think also that today, uh, the way in which we uh, the way in which uh, a part of social science try to uh, tackle with some uh, phenomena is uh, more uh, compatible with uh, the experimental tradition. So it is, uh, it is, um, it is easy to communicate. Um, there are traditions uh, in um, in uh, social sciences like economics and uh, part of sociology, which are highly formalized, that they use models. And uh, so uh, this is not uh, just uh, poetry. Models uh, can predict something, etc. But what I find interesting today that is that you can talk to people who use models and try to say, well, this is an interesting prediction. Can we just test it experimentally? And this is something that is very also very creative, it mixes up so many different competences. Take what I'm working on in these days. I mean, I have the feeling, and this is an intuition, and of course I have written about it, but I mean, uh, that we tend to prefer, we tend to evaluate better, not only to prefer, because, but to evaluate better, to give a better reputation to people who 
reciprocate a little bit. So, so to people who like us, at least a little bit. Pure reputational free riders who want to go up uh, in the hierarchies and never reciprocate, we are suspicious. I, well, we can adore them at a certain point, we let them down. So there are models in um, social sciences who, which formalize this way in which hierarchies are created. I mean, people who uh, go up, why a person go up, goes up in a hierarchy? Because many people defer to this person. So the idea uh, uh, is that you have many people below and one people uh, up, as in, uh, uh, I don't know, Twitter. You have, uh, if you're an important person in, in Twitter, you have a lot, many followers, and, uh, but you don't follow so many people. I mean, you have, uh, so the, uh, but uh, the idea that is, uh, I mean, around in, in some literature and I want to test is that you prefer those who reciprocate a little bit. So you, you defer to them but they also defer a little bit to them. So this is an adjustment that we do like, like for example take when I know I, I try to, to submit a paper an article to a super high uh, ranked um, academic journal uh, like in I don't know in my domain uh, there are mind, I don't know, there are the, 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 the most uh, uh, high-ranked academic journal in philosophy, and I am rejected. Well, I submit a second time, I, my paper is rejected. And uh, at a certain point, I, well, as we all do in a business in academy, you, you try with a less prestigious uh, uh, journal. And then you're uh, in, at a certain point uh, uh, down in the hierarchy, you find a journal which publishes you. And at that point, uh, uh, sometimes people start to adjust, say, well, 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 this journal is not so bad as people say. I mean, there are many interesting things. In a sense, it's much more accessible. I think that the standards of uh, uh, those guys up uh, are becoming a little obsolete. And so, so that's a way in which, uh, I mean, hierarchies uh, are adjusted. We adjust a, a, a lot in order to uh, prefer who those uh, whom we think are going to prefer us. So this is something which is, uh, it exists in some sort of formal uh, model of social sciences. It exists in the study of hierarchies, very formal study of hierarchies. It hasn't been tested. So I'm just testing it with a student, I'm following, I mean, I'm a philosopher, I, I'm, not, I'm not such a, uh, there is a, now a, a small tradition of experimental philosophers, and in my lab, uh, hopefully in Paris, uh, there are a lot of, there are many experimental philosophers, so people who take philosophical questions and try to uh, test them experimentally, and so we have a lot of fun. Sometimes what is, it is important to to say, and this is really the, the spirit of also the experimental uh, work, which is an enormous fun, is sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes your, your, your intuitions are completely wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe now we are testing it. Maybe we will discover that people just don't care to be reciprocated. And, and that is important because we also have this, um, uh, now this um, self uh, uh, evident authority of science. Scientists have said that uh, uh, so and so. Okay, scientists have said 
that so-and-so, but uh, for one positive result that you find published in an academic journal, you have tons of negative results that, uh, that are in the symmetry of our labs uh, and that are very in in interesting too. I mean, so, uh, so in a sense, uh, in, in my, my approach is just don't think that the truth is just only in a, <laughs> in a there is a special place in which uh, uh, it is, and uh, the more mm, uh, modest you are, and the more uh, and the more pluralistic you are. I mean, uh, the better it is for 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 research. So that is the way in which uh, I I avoid any possible prejudice, and that is also because of my background. I mean, I have a very mm, mixed background. I have studied formal logic and uh, Nietzsche and uh, Husserl in my, in my undergraduate studies. Then I made a, uh, st I studied uh, cognitive science in Paris and uh, I always moved around. So I think that it is very important to keep your mind open. I write uh, literature and I write a lot for newspapers in Italian because it was my way to keep uh, contact with my own uh, mother tongue. Uh, Europe is a very different situation from the United States. We are 27 countries with 27 languages. I work sometimes in, in Brussels as an expert of, in advisory boards, etc. And uh, in order, just in order to start a conversation, you have to wait for the greetings in 27 languages, uh, in 27 different languages. So I have a, I, 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 so Europe is a, a very different scene in which difference, in a sense, trying to keep your difference is something that is uh, uh, important for us. I don't know, like keeping your tradition. Keep, we pay actually we pay an enormous price. I think uh, too much, a too high, a, 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 a too high price in, in Europe for for protecting our folklore in a sense. But it is true that I have, well, I have studied. Uh, humanities and formal logic uh, in my in my youth. I mean, when I was at university in Milano, which was a very good place, and uh, and uh, we didn't have this idea that uh, there was a, a science in one uh, uh, on one side and uh, let's say uh, cultural studies in uh, on the other side. We had this idea to. We, we thought it would have been able to uh, navigate the uh, sort of culture and navigate science uh, with the same boat, whereas it uh, happened to be very difficult, even in Europe. Cultural studies ha have been a big uh, disappointment, uh, in a sense, uh, a sort of vulgarization of the values of uh, humanities, which I still think is very important in education. And, um, and on the other hand, uh, uh, scientific methods uh, or, uh, were perceived as a way of, uh, of uh, dominating, a sort of a, a tool of domination, let's say, a tool of dominating the discourse, the, the public, the, the, the scientific, the true, the, the true, the discourse about truth. This is, there is a famous, piece on this, which was the inaugural lecture of Michel Foucault at the Collège de France, which is a wonderful text, which is called The Order of Discourse, in which uh, he tries to argue that, uh, uh, yeah, you should be careful uh, when you use 
a certain discourse, can be the scientific discourse, the literary discourse, the political discourse, who is controlling it in a sense. So the, the scientific discourse was seen not as a tool for thought, but, uh, but a tool for domination. And that was also because uh, the relationship with, between power and science has changed a lot in the last 20 years. And we should be frank about this. I mean, this is in Europe, I don't know what is the scene in the United States, but I mean, we have a, uh, a sort of, we have a politician, uh, uh, the, the political dimension, dimension of research, what is research, what, 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 are, what we researchers are doing has become important. Uh, states um, display their reputation through their scientific research. They want to be present in international rankings. They want to be, uh, they compete for uh, prestige and for, for, uh, for prestige and also they compete for innovation. So uh, uh, we were a community like, uh, I don't know, 20 or 30 years ago in an ivory tower in which doing research and using the scientific method was some, something very independent of the, in a sense, the real world was, uh, uh, and now, I mean, we are pushed on, uh, on producing some, some, some uh, research that is useful for, for, of course, I mean, the resources are scarce, so we need to, and that has changed a little bit the, the, the vision, I mean, and, and the, uh, sort of a positive vision, a positive vision of science as a free, uh, an activity of freedom, that researchers used to have like 20 years ago. And so I think that also the political dimension, at least in Europe, the way in which uh, the, the, the political discourse has entered the scientific discourse has changed a little bit the atmosphere and the way in which... Uh, but I, that's why I think, I mean, we, in a sense, people hate, yeah. serious people hate uh, uh, postmodernism because uh, uh, because, uh, yeah, it's, no, it was a, a sort of a laissez-faire, everything can be said in a sense. And, uh, but, uh, so I don't want to defend postmodernism, I just want to say something provocative about this, and that we are in a postmodern era. Our knowledge is structurally postmodern, which means that there are no more uh, uh, clear uh, filters, there are no more clear canons or what is high and what is low uh, the and uh, this gives us an enormous uh, cacophony and, uh, of possible ways of uh, uh, dealing with culture and knowledge but also an enormous freedom freedom of methods I mean freedom of method you can find things that you can mix uh, I don't know, literature with big data. We, you can, we have a freedom that we didn't really have uh, uh, 20 or 30 years ago. So in a sense, uh, uh, of course, we, uh, 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 we are more uncertain about the, uh, the, the results of uh, research, but uh, I think that at least in the intellectual debate, we should avoid polarizations. I mean, what else, I mean, we see so... The, Political debate is so polarized. Uh, in intellectual debate, we should be pluralistic. I mean, let's be pluralistic. I mean, we have, uh, we can access knowledge in so many different ways, and we don't know which one's going to be the one who's going to change the world. <laughs>